Hello and welcome to the IWIB Female Factor Podcast. IWIB stands for International Women in Business. We are a network based in Stockholm, Sweden, and every month we'll have a guest. These are businessmen, businesswomen, professionals, business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs from different countries and industries who will share their career journeys and unique perspectives with us. They will also share who are the women behind their success, which we call the female factor. Welcome. Welcome to the IWAB Talks and Podcast. Today, we will be talking about reinventing yourself. And my guest is Una Vanderberg. She is a lawyer from Northern Ireland. She's based in Hong Kong. She's a mother and award-winning compliance officer, entrepreneurial CEO, innovator, disruptor, compliance community builder, global compliance community builder, keynote speaker, and podcast host. Unak will share her story about she reinventing herself after she was declared redundant last year. Please, Unak, share your story with us. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So this so this time last year, um, I actually got as you mentioned, I got made redundant. And um, was I expecting it? No, not at all. I was actually going for like just a general one to one meeting with um, with one of my managers, and he asked me, you know, would you like to go to a room more comfortable uh, or somewhere more comfortable? And I thought we were going to grab a coffee. The next thing, I walk into a room and there's HR. <laughs> I was like. Hmm, this isn't a coffee discussion um and it was a very it was a very positive meeting in that you know there'd been restructuring and the position no longer existed and it was really interesting because I remember at the moment feeling at that moment feeling really relieved because I knew that something big um I, I don't want to come across this and some people maybe aren't but I'm, I'm quite intuitive and I knew that something big was about to happen, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I knew it was to do with my career. And um, I'd actually told my husband a week earlier, I woke up and I said to him, you know, something really big is about to happen with my work. And I don't know what it is, but don't worry, it's going to be fine. And he's just like, okay. And I knew it was going to be fine. So there I am sitting in a room being told out of the blue that they're making me redundant. And I'm just like, well, okay, it's going to be okay. And uh, that carried through with me for the next couple of months. And then I'll be honest, probably this, this happened in the January. And then when I finished my gardening leave in the March, that's where the imposter syndrome set in. And that's where I started to be, well, okay, if I was actually really good at my job, they would have moved me to another position. They would have kept me in the organization. Obviously, maybe I have done something wrong or maybe I'm just not as good at my job as I thought I was. And I started to, even though I knew the logical reasons for the global restructuring and there was multiple positions taken out, it started to come back on me, me asking me questions about my capabilities. And um, what I did was I took a course at Yale on executive woman leadership and it, it was quite expensive. But at the same time, I was like, this is going to prove to me whether I'm good at my job or not. Like, am I a good leader? Am I a good manager? Do I have the innovative nature that I need to do the job I'm doing? And one way or another, at the end of this course, I was going to find out whether or not it was, I, you know, I was as good as I thought I was. Um, and what actually happened through that course, I call it the onion effect. The course ran over eight weeks and basically you had to basically strip back. It was like, the, you know, like an onion, strip back every single layer and begin to start asking you questions about yourself that maybe you haven't always been that comfortable asking, you know, really looking not at just the great things, but what are your weaknesses? What are the things that you're not good at? And you know, we as um, as children are, and I know I was in particular, we're encouraged to focus on our strengths and not our weaknesses. But what I have learned fundamentally over the last year is we need to own our weaknesses. Owning your weaknesses and owning your vulnerabilities is as powerful and is as important to you becoming the full complete version of yourself as being as good as you are at your job. So I uh, took this course. It absolutely changed my entire mental outlook on what I was doing. And it not only gave me back the energy that I felt I was beginning to lose, 
but it also supercharged me. It supercharged me to realize that I'm really good at what I do, but I was just in the wrong environment. I was with, you know, in the wrong place. And if I could change the environment, you know, it was focusing on values and um, innovation and networking. You know, I have an amazing network of people around me, but I don't leverage off and I don't use it. So what about mentors? What about mentees? Starting to explore more things, you know, in, in this regard. So I took that, took all of that energy that I got, and I suppose I kind of exploded. I um, set up my consultancy firm, which I had been toying with an idea of going out on my own for about five years. But I'll be honest with you, giving up a monthly salary to suddenly take on a job where you're like, am I going to get contracts? Am I going to get clients? It is frightening for anyone. And it's even more frightening when you have a family to feed and support. So that decision was taken away from me. You know, I was, I could have gone back into a job in banking, but I realized that this wasn't for me. I needed to set up my consultancy firm. And simultaneously, I realized that I'm so passionate about paying it forward. Um, one of the biggest things I've learned over the past, in particular, probably eight, nine months, is that we have a massive problem with financial exclusion within the global compliance arena. The global certifications for compliance, the recognized certifications are incredibly expensive. And we talk about diversity and we talk about inclusion, but there are people out there who can't afford them because what they cost costs more than what their family makes in a month. And I suddenly realized to an extent, our job in the legal compliance space had become a, at a minimum, a middle-class job because people from low-income families were not able to afford the certifications to, to even get in the door. And don't get me wrong, there are schemes and various organizations to help, but this isn't, this isn't international, this isn't across the board, this isn't countrywide. So I wanted to do something to help with that as well. So we've set up raw compliance to start giving free training, free education to everybody who wants to take it up, given by some of the best experts globally in, in, in our field. And in addition to that as well, we've created a mentor-mentee program. Uh, I really believe that having a mentor is so important to every single one of us. And also having a mentee is incredibly important because we, and it works both ways, it's wonderful when a mentee gives you feedback. Um, so, you know, mentor-mentee programs need to be increased significantly across our industry. We need to learn from others their mistakes you know what how, how did they get to where they were it's not all it's not roses every single day it's hard it's really hard but we don't talk about we don't talk about the bottom sides of the iceberg we just talk about the top bit we see success but we don't realize that massive piece of ice that's underneath that's that you know we have to work at um, and I think then also in addition to that with raw compliance, innovation, there is a massive lack of innovation across our community. And what we wanted to do with raw compliance was that if we felt if we could get enough people to start speaking and talking about the issues and the challenges we have in the industry, and, and I mean technically and you know the legal, the regulatory issues, we could begin to drive innovation because it just takes that one spark, that one aha moment with one individual that will begin the ball rolling on a new area of innovation within our industry. So ultimately we wanna get better culture. We wanna improve the compliance culture across the industry. But um, I know I'm maybe sounding very utopian, but that's what this past year, I've taken a redundancy, uh, I went through the absolute highs and lows of it, but what I found out the back of it was, I'm glad it happened. And I'm glad it happened because it pushed me out of my comfort zone and into doing something. I'm, I'm really honest with you, every day I wake up, it's an amazing feeling. I know that I'm making a difference. Uh, even if to one person, I get messages, you know, saying, thank you for this. This has made such a difference to me. This is what I needed. You know, I was looking for a mentor or I wasn't able to find free education that was supported at such a global level with, you know, experts. But there are days it's hard. Like there's days where it's really hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat all of this. You know, January and February were tough. I knew financially that if I got through those months, I was going to make it. And I did, thank goodness. Um, 
but it's hard. It's really, really hard. So please don't listen to me and think, oh, this sounds great. I'm going to give up my job today and jump out and do this. No, 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 no. Please think about it carefully before you do, because it is really hard work and it's long hours. And I went the extreme. I've launched three companies in a go in, in one. And um, it's it's a little bit too much. Um, and even I feel that right now, but I have an amazing group of people around me to help. So please don't take what I'm saying and jump today to change your job. Think about it and think about what's best for you. I mean, that's that's something that I, I'm really impressed because I, I see that you don't have just one company. Walk us through the mental process after you get this news of you know getting redundant and then what was it did you sit down you knew already that you know you were basically meant for bigger things that's how I see it and maybe you know at your regular job you were just doing you know the regular tasks that you're supposed to do but it seems to me that you were I don't know born for bigger things a bigger purpose and helping and adding value to society but was it this decision of losing your job that really made you shine that really made you you know I don't know step out of that safety um box environment what what was it that you decided okay I'm not doing banking anymore I'm doing compliance work us through that because maybe those steps will be important for those listening back um, to understand what is the process that they will go through. Did you reach out first to your network and brainstorm or did you brainstorm just with your husband? How, how did you manage to, to know this is what I want to focus on? I'm going to have a mentorship program for this area. What was it? How, how was the process? I, I'll be honest. I think to start with, I had no idea. I literally had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I think it was just processing the shock of it to start with. As I, as I mentioned, I knew something big was going to happen and I knew that I shouldn't be worried about it. But when it happens, I think for me, the saddest part is, especially I was managing 32 people across the region, you suddenly lose a family. And that's something that really hit me early on to start with. And that was something that was, it was, it was, that's actually a big part of maybe influencing a lot of the work that I do now. When you work in a team, it's not, it's, you build the relationships with each individual, you know, you, you get to know about them, about their families, their kids, you know, what motivates them, what drives them. Every person is unique. And I think my first, the first reaction was, oh my goodness, what about the team? You know, and I was really worried, you know, I knew they were going to be fine. I knew that we had done enough um, development, et cetera, that people within the team would be able to step up and take ownership, et cetera. But my first thought was for them. It wasn't for me. It was, how are they going to feel about this? You know, are they going to feel I've abandoned them, even though it was not, it was not, not my choice? So that my first, my first thought wasn't about me. And I'm not saying this to try and sign kind of, oh, you know, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, what about all of these people who are all at different stages of their career, of their life journeys, all going through multiple different things? So that was the first thing that was really hard. And then I kind of stepped back and thought, I don't want to have to go through that type of, in inverted commas, breakup again. I don't want to have to lose all these people again because that's that's hard any job that you move to you will have friends at work and then when you move to a new job these people that you saw every day slowly you'll few of them will stay in your life but slowly many of them will disappear away and that happens to all of us in all in all of when we move roles and that's something I just really find incredibly sad um so one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to create an organization and a company where people I suppose a lot of things as well. There's things that I've known, I've learned about working styles that I love. And there's things that I've learned about working styles that I disliked. And I wanted to create an organization where people just are energized and they, they're not micromanaged. And I, I've never, I've maybe once or twice in my entire 20 years, but I've never really been micromanaged. But I've seen people that are, and I see the damage it does to people as well. So I want to create an organization where people come in. We hire people for their skill sets. We hire diverse skill sets. I want to be challenged. I want people to tell me, I don't agree with you. Um, and so I've deliberately gone out of my way 
to kind of think about building an organization where we could bring in the work that I was doing while I was in house, but also ways in which we could challenge ourselves through that work to start thinking differently because I don't need a team of 10 unas you don't want a team of 10 unas I'll be honest nobody does I want a team of 10 people that are each individually unique to bring that healthy challenge and that diversity did I know to start with that I was going to suddenly start a consultancy firm as I mentioned I've had the idea about five years earlier um did I immediately jump to that as my solution? No, I actually started to look for jobs again in the industry. I thought, throw myself back in and then realized very quickly, just after seven or eight interviews, even for one job, I was like, I couldn't do this. I was looking at how drained people were in the roles. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to get back into that rat race. And, you know, to give you a good example, we don't have a long maternity leave here in, in Asia. So I've been out here now coming up 12 years. My eldest daughter, I went back to work when she was 10 weeks old and my youngest when she was 12 weeks old. And with both of them, I had emergency C-sections and I was going back to work. You're not even supposed to go back to the gym, but yeah, I'm going back to work and starting to work 16, 17 hours again. So another thing for me was about boundaries. We need to have boundaries in our workplace between our work life and our home life. Unfortunately, COVID hasn't not necessarily blurred those, but I think for many people, it's made them realize they didn't have boundaries at all. It's just become one monotonous work. You know, it's just work, work, work. So I wanted as well to make sure that I had boundaries. But my first idea was that I would open up a photography studio because I wanted to I wanted to properly learn how to use my my camera which has been sitting there for about four years I made my husband get it for me when I was pregnant with my second daughter because I wanted to take some many beautiful pictures um, of my kids and all my pictures are on my iPhone like nothing is done with this camera so I thought you know what I'm, I'm really good on my iPhone I'm going to start a photography studio <laughs> it was the, stupid, the stupidest idea I ever had um, but I proceeded to go on to AliExpress, kind of like the, the Chinese version of Amazon, and purchased every single type of, a, of photography equipment you could imagine that you would ever need. Um, but it all worked out because we actually need all of that photography equipment now for our training that we're doing and for all of our webinars and our training platforms because we do a lot of green screen work, etc. So it all came about in a kind of an unconventional way and kind of happened. It happened unconventionally. It is. Yes. Yeah, so the, the photography idea very quickly went out the window when I realized I'm just not that good at this. I'm good with an iPhone, but I'm not good with this camera. I have no idea how to work it. There's people that go to university to learn this and I have no idea. I secondly, I absolutely love what we do. I love, you know, I you know, when I finished, um, I participated in a master's in Maastricht University. And when I finished, uh, because we did the European Law Moot Court, uh, we won the commissioner section for it. And we got offered a stage at a European institution. And my mine was the ECB. And I took that as a great opportunity to really throw myself into the regulation. And what I what I realized when I was there was I can, if I may say so myself, I can read regulations in seconds I'm very, it's, it's one of my it's one of my expertise areas but I didn't know products at all and if you don't know products you're dead in the water because you're going to have a conversation with somebody about the law about the regulation and this person's going to be like but that doesn't make any sense and you can't have a dialogue so when I finished my legal training at the European Central Bank I actually joined JP Morgan in London in their product development team um, and I was taking care of all of the legal requirements in the um, in, in the client documentation to make sure that it met the, the jurisdiction requirements for Germany, Luxembourg, etc. And the team was actually teaching me how to build basket funds. It was on the asset management side. And that was my first introduction into products. So, again, you know, one of my biggest drivers is I want people to realize that to do our jobs well, it's not just about knowing the law. It's not just about knowing the regulations. You have to understand how this works in practice and you have to understand the actual challenges day to day. So I wanted to create something that could really resonate and help people. And interestingly, 
our biggest clients have been fintech and crypto firms because I'm very practical about the issues that we face and I'm very simplistic about putting in place processes. I don't like to over-engineer. Whereas, you know, other people that maybe are as, as seasoned as I would be maybe on the compliance side, they've not necessarily had to pull up their sleeves and jump in the deep end and do the dirty work. So that was one of my great advantages going into this. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I've managed teams, but I've also jumped in the deep end and rebuilt teams as well from, you know, and I say teams frameworks from bottom up. So there wasn't a path here where suddenly I thought, yep, this is what I'm going to do. The answer was, thought I was going to become a photographer, realized that um, just because I can take a good selfie does not make me a good photographer. Um, and yeah, then it suddenly came back to me that I really love what we do. I love the work that we do. And I really feel like we make a difference. And that was my biggest driver to go out and start looking to see if I could get work. And all of my clients' relationships happened organically. They literally happened because this person introduced me to that person. There wasn't any marketing or sales pitches or none of that. It's kind of all just happened organically. And sometimes, actually quite a few times, I kind of think there must be somebody watching over me because this is all, every time I think to myself, was this worth it? Something happens to show me that my goodness me, it was worth it. So it's, it's, it's been an incredible journey, but I can tell you it's been a roller coaster of a year. But one thing that really um, shows from you is that you were very agile. I mean, like you, as soon as this happened to you, it seems that, okay, you have this, you know, mental process of, you know, okay, I can do it. It will be fine. It will be okay. But you were smart about it. I mean, the fact that you acted so, you know, like your, your, your company, you know, is, is like a virtual, um, one of the companies that you, um, the first one, the virtual risk solutions. Everyone, everyone went virtual during the pandemic. So even that kind of approach that you gave to your business was right, you know, on 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 point. It was it was it was, it was very, yeah. Not only agile, but it seems that you were ready for something like this. Yeah, it, it's it's really. I shouldn't. I I try not to say this out loud because I don't want people to kind of think I'm being cocky about it. I started Virtual Risk Solutions five years ago and with the name Virtual Risk Solutions, because I believed that we should be trying to look at ways that we could virtually provide compliance and legal coverage for entities, that this didn't have to be in person every time face to face. And I was laughed out of the room. I was told this would never happen. I was told that if you want to have a compliance or a practice, you'll have to go into the room. You have to build the relationships face to face. Otherwise, you're not going to get the business. And then when I got made redundant um, and, you know, in the, the following week, the lockdown started in Hong Kong. And then we went into this virtual, literally virtual environment suddenly this virtual risk solutions didn't seem like such a stupid idea it actually was and people were like oh this is a really great name and I'm like you know did it's it's so apt and I'm like this is actually five years old so I was without sounding cocky as I mentioned I was ahead of my time five years ago and what I wanted to achieve the great thing is I had the idea of how we would do it I had the structure I had the technology to support it it was just a matter of the right time and so I have been able to use, again, this is something I don't like to say out loud, I've been able to use COVID to my advantage, if I can say that in the pandemic, to my advantage, in that my business was ready for it. It was ready for a situation like this to happen. It was ready for BCP, for business continuity. That's what I. That's why I created this. What I am, and also as well, I was able to start up a business without an office. And in, in Asia, having an office is very, very, very important. Um, and if you don't have an office, it's kind of seen that you're, you're not really serious about what you're doing. I was able to start a virtual business from my study at home without anybody even questioning any aspect of that. And then now, as we come out the end of the pandemic, all be touch wood, all being well, people aren't going back to the office. People are going to be working from home. And, you know, I now am lucky enough. I do have an office in IFC2, IFC which is one of the prominent landmarks in Hong Kong. I'm very, very lucky to have that. 
But I was able to get that because there was a significant decrease in rental <laughs> because of the pandemic. And I'll be honest, the office that we have now, we, we wouldn't be able to afford it normally, it's, especially as a startup. But um, we just needed a space where we could come and sit together and talk as a team. And uh, it, honestly, as I said, somebody is watching over us because every time that we've needed something, something phenomenal has happened to show us that it's worth it and that we need to keep going and keep pushing. So, yeah, it's been everything has kind of happened at the right time. Um, and, you know, if I had been made redundant a year earlier, I, I probably wouldn't be. I don't know if I would be sitting here now feeling as happy and joyous about it. And. The, the most difficult thing for me was the previous year to be made redundant. Um, I'd been suffering for about six years or so with back issues. And I'd been told by my, by my surgeons that it was, it, was just, it was just a disc, a disc problem. And I had a few operations. And then in 2019, um, I went back to my surgeon and he's like, there's something obviously bigger problem here. And I went for a CT scan and they discovered my back was broken. And I had I had been walking around with a broken back for six years. I thought I was becoming a hypochondriac. I was like, there's something I was going. I was moving into out. my back was constantly shifting in and out of different shapes. Um, so I actually had to have reconstructive surgery to pin my back back together. Um, but the great thing was I was back to work within three weeks. Um, so it didn't really impact me. And I was able to do some work while I was during that period. Um, but that period really kind of made it clear to me that there are things that are more important than work. Um, you know, I realized I hadn't been spending the time with my children that I should have been. I started to get a work-life balance. And what's really sad is it took me until my, my eldest daughter's now 10. So it took me until she was basically nine years old to get a work-life balance that I'd never had before. And I worry about how many other mothers out there struggle with that as well. And um, when I was my eldest daughter, I, I was actually a single mum for two years before I met my now husband. And that was hard. That was really hard. Being a single mum working, you know, 12, 16 hours a day with it with a young you know, baby and then infant uh, toddler. It's really hard. But the great thing is in Asia is you do have help. You know, now, obviously, I have my second daughter with my husband. Sometimes I actually think it's easier to be a single mom because you can make all the decisions yourself. <laughs> there, is a, there is an advantage. But yeah, we, we kind of we, we have to look across the board. You know, there's multiple challenges that we're all facing. And I would not suggest to anybody to suddenly give up their job today because they heard us talking and it sounded inspirational and exciting. Um, think very carefully about your personal circumstances. Your, your no, but children, at least your... in your case, was a blessing in disguise because it was like you know, it seems like it, it, the, the, the you know the universe was just waiting for that moment for you to you know to you know just throw you into the water and then you could do all the things that you're doing now. Um, I, I will say that for those listening to us now. Um, doing the, the the steps taking this the necessary steps to get through that you know insecurities of losing a job what am i going to do next well you sign up for a course now you have tons of materials on the internet that are you know for free um, edX is one of them for example i use them a lot um just to test as well you know my knowledge Am I still relevant? I, you know, am I aware of this new regulation or not? So doing things like you did, you, you took the, the, the right, I guess, path and, 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 and execute your ideas that you maybe when you were working in, in banking, you didn't actually feel the need to execute. But and, and I think one of the things as well, I, I said this to somebody yesterday and I was like, God, that's how it felt at times. I feel like sometimes, especially when you're in a higher, high pressured senior role, you sometimes are just running against a wall, but you don't realize you're running against the wall because you're running so fast that there's like dust all around you and you just keep going and going and going. It actually has taken, I think, you know, both my, my back surgery and the lockdown and my redundancy to make me really relook at kind of running against a wall. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned for myself is a couple of things that I now do. One, I block out every other Wednesday in my diary just to have a day when I can think. 
because otherwise I just constantly am working, 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 working. And when I have that day blocked out in my diary, I can sit back and breathe and think about what we're doing. And sometimes that running against the wall, it will be doing things in not in the right way, but maybe ineffectively and having that day to really think about it and think about different dynamics helps me to be innovative. It also helps me to get things done that I really love, like writing articles or, you know, I'm beginning to write a book now. So I've been asked to kind of put together a book on compliance and, you know, kind of the, the journey and the different ways in which you can develop in compliance. So I'm excited about that. Um, but also as well, I block out every Friday afternoon in my diary. And that's kind of my giving it back to my kids. I can't be there for them every morning when they go to school. I can't be there for them every afternoon when they get back from school. Yeah, don't get me wrong. In lockdown, we've had the kids in our house 24-7. I get that. But what the Friday afternoon does for me is it mentally makes me aware of the fact that I'm, I'm spending that time with my children. I've got that quality moment every week to spend with them. And don't get me wrong. There are weeks where this whole planning goes out the window and it doesn't work. But you need to start taking back ownership of your diary. I see a lot of organizations are beginning to have these like no Zoom Wednesdays or no call Fridays. Those are so important for our mental health. And um, in addition to that, I switch my phone off religiously if, unless I have meetings at, at 9 a.m. or sorry, 9 p.m. every night. Mm -hmm. And I leave my phone in another room charging overnight because otherwise you're never switching off and if you think back to when you know I'm in my in my 40s now but and and but I think back to when I was a kid we had one telephone in our house you know you got your news from the six o'clock news on the tv you know if you wanted to like you know check things out on the internet I think we had teletext that was that was the limit of it um and the you know our only kind of connection with computers really was computer games you know playing nintendo or sega mega drive or whatever you had um the influence of technology in our life today is so positive but it also is incredibly negative that we never switch off we are endlessly bombarded with news and it's just it's too much and so i've kind of in my own kind of this past year have implemented a slight tech detox along the way so that I can just give me some breathing space back. Um, and also as well. That's, I think that's a really good input because that comes with the freedom that you have to organize your own schedule, not just to hit the wall every single day. Um, I think we're getting close to our end of the first part. So we have more time to our podcast uh, later on. Um, is it okay we take questions now, Unen? Oh, please go ahead. Yeah, I've got my, if you hear any noises, it's just my kids, they're in, they're getting ready for dinner. So they're just okay. getting to Okay, <laughs> I'll just, uh, then I'll pause. Uh, so people, if they have questions, I do have a question, but Helena, can you may, maybe check if there are any questions? There are no questions. And uh, thank you, Ona. Ona, you say? That's right. Yeah. Beautiful name, although I couldn't say it. it's beautiful. Yes, I don't worry. Yeah, that's I like it. Well, you know, what the weird thing is so obviously, my name is, is Una, and my husband is Dutch, and his name is Herio. And we're, we're that couple at any party or dinner party where people say, Oh, it's nice to meet you. What's your name? And they know they have to say my name at least two or three times to get it right. And then they turn to my husband, and what's your name? And he's like, Herio. And they're just like, <laughs> We give up, you know, we're, they're that couple, the nameless couple. But yeah, it's don't, I, I ran the London Marathon one year. Um, it was my flatmate. Um, I used to run for, I used to sprint when I was younger. And uh, my flatmate in London, uh, she used to run marathons. And she said to me, oh, you could never run a marathon. You're not designed for it. And I'm one of these people. It's like, don't drop a gauntlet for me. You know, I'm going to pick that up and run with it. So I entered myself into the London Marathon. And it nearly killed me. It literally took me five hours to complete it. But I had my name and my T-shirt and I was getting any variation of what you can think my name could be. But I was taking it all. I was getting Donna, Ognag, you, you name it. But I was just responding to all of it because I it nearly killed me. It really nearly killed me. <laughs> it was great no. hearing your story. And, you know, like you were saying, paying it forward and having mentees and being a mentor I mean both learn and that's something 
But I do know sometimes at school they have older students, you know, going in teaching or being with younger and it should start like that. So it becomes, you know, a natural thing as we grow older, you know, to have someone because you learn so much, be it the age, be it the knowledge you have, but, you know, sharing this together and sometimes being the one that knows less then you're inspired to know more. I love working with clients that know so much more because if I'm the smaller one, I will be able to draw out, you know, the things that seem so simple for them. So, you know. And also, you begin to become repetitive. You begin to repeat the same things over and over again. And I'm actually at the moment, it was, it was, I'm getting actually some help from a, from a lady in the UK who's a specialist in this area to do it. Um, I'm looking for a mentor um, at the moment. And what a mentor is, it's, it's basically an older intern, somebody that mentors you and actually wants to change industry. So they want to act, they want an internship, but they're older. So they'll, you know, they're, they're kind of maybe, I say in my 40s, but could be 50, 50s, early 60s. And I'm really looking for that at the moment because to have somebody with that life knowledge, um, be in the often office of more mostly younger people, it's just so valuable. And but it was very very sensitive in how to kind of advertise for it because I've seen a few people that advertise. It's like, oh, where do we cross the boundaries of you know what's right from an employment perspective? What can I put to get a job spec, etc.? I can't discriminate based on age, but can I, you know, can I discriminate younger people if I'm hiring older? People. It was a very, it was a really strange discussion, but um, I saw other people beginning to do it. And I was like, I, I want that. I want to learn from other people. Um, and I, and I also as well, one of the biggest realizations of working with the fintechs has been that I've had to rethink all the ways that I traditionally did my job in compliance. And that was, um, it, it, I wouldn't even say an eye opener. At one moment, I felt physically sick because I realized why have we been getting it so wrong? Like I, the penny finally dropped. And then I was able to redesign an entire framework the way that it was supposed to work. And it worked perfectly. But um, it was that, you know, we need to be open to being, to being, a, to allow ourselves to learn. And I think there are many people out there who get to a certain level and think I know everything. And the truth is, you know, my mother always said to me, we all come into this world the same. We all go out the same. But it's what you do with your life that makes a difference. And if I can just do something with my life without sounding like utopian or cheesy, but if I can do something with my life that even changes something for one person, I've achieved what I set out to do. And, you know, it is all about paying it forward. And it's going to be, a, and I think COVID has made us all much more aware of others. And I think it's also made us more caring. Um, I, I, I was very much like I, you know, I've, I've always been the way I am now. Um, but other, I have seen fundamental changes in other people who become so much more aware, if I can say that, of having to help others that maybe before they were, I wouldn't say ignorant to, they were too busy to pay attention to. And I love, I love how, I love how the pandemic has made us more human again. I really, I really do. I agree with that. Um, do we have any questions? If not, uh, I'll just continue. No we are recording actually. So, so we, I haven't stopped. Um, but I, I do have a question. Helena, do you have any questions? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to follow your journey. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, you're doing great work and putting boundaries. It's not, you know, maybe we have seen that boundaries are something that is bad, but it's actually something that is great. And yeah. when I heard that you took time to give to your family, because we cannot take our children for granted. Don't ever take your children for granted. Mm -hmm. Either they grow up or we could lose them. So, yeah. you know, sometimes we do, we get so involved in work and, and we lose everything. And especially as women, you know, if you have children, then you're a mother. And then if you're married, you're a wife, then you have your career. But what about yourself? Yeah. You know, it's no, so important. Yeah. And it's really, um, it's, it kind of keeps, I, I, I get quite emotional about it sometimes as well. And I think, 
you know, and even even on the way here today to the to the to the hotel to get my kids ready for for their party. And um, I was typing away and responding to like a, a message someone had sent me and my daughter was talking to me and I suddenly I keep having to do this. I keep having to stop and say, you know, what's more important in this moment right now? You know, responding to your, you know, your four year old or your 10 year old daughter or replying to this message to this person, like prioritize what's important. And as working mothers, I, I also I think it's, this can be a whole other podcast discussion as a successful kind of I would say kind of high flying career woman that then got pregnant um, as a single mom and then was on my own. I actually believe that once I give birth to my daughter, that I could run her off for an ex- I could run her life off an Excel spreadsheet. Literally, I built an Excel spreadsheet. I was like, wait, she's going to get up at this time. She's going to eat at this time. She's going to bathe at this time. My sisters just laughed at me. They were like, you're crazy. To be fair, she was an amazing baby. She did follow the schedule. It was, <laughs> it was just phenomenal. But um, when I went back to work, oh my goodness me, one, I was not ready. Secondly, I expected to go back to work to be Una, the, Una before the baby. And I was going to go back in and just be me again. And I was in for a very rude awakening because it wasn't just me anymore. I was a mother. I, you know, I was accountable to, to somebody who was completely dependent on me now. And yet I, then I had my team, I had my work, I had my deliverables. It was so hard to manage. And I wish there had been more support groups in the industry because, you know, this was 10 years ago. I was, I was so embarrassed. I felt like I had somehow failed because how could I be so successful in my career? But yet I was struggling now to manage with a child. Like I've, I've got my Excel spreadsheet at home. Like I should have this locked in. I should be able to do this. And I, I talk, you know, when you see in my LinkedIn, the first thing it says is that I'm a mother. And the reason I did that was specifically because of what I went through. I felt like I wasn't allowed to talk about being a mother, that it was somehow career limiting, that potentially taking any time out to have a child would put me back two, three years in my career progression. And I wasn't going to let that happen. I went straight back in, you know, 10 weeks after having a baby by a cesarean back in the office. Uh, still, you know, still breastfeeding the works, the baby was at home, I was running back, you know, back and forth, they didn't even, I remember they didn't even have facilities for expressing and I had to sit in the toilets and express like it was just, it was just like the, all the worst things you can imagine. But the biggest thing to me of that was, we should be so proud to be mothers that have good jobs and that are that, that we can be seen as role models. But it's not easy to balance it all. And I don't believe that anybody can have it all without help, babe, because it's just so much. And, you know, it's it's something we don't talk about enough as successful women. And, you know, when you, I actually had my mentee who brought it up to me this week, she's just had a baby. And she just said to me, you know, and I'm supposed to go back to work in a couple of weeks, but I don't feel I'm like I'm ready. And I'm like, oh my goodness me, don't make my mistakes all over again. Um, so I'd love as an industry that we begin to push that more, that push that agenda more to help more women that are struggling because it will lead to postnatal depression. If you, you know, not even postnatal, but it will lead to mental health issues with individuals because they're just trying to do too much. But anyway, that's a whole other discussion. No, but I, I, I feel exactly, you know, I, I, I've been there and, and uh, yeah, the spreadsheet kind of a routine for my kids have been always, um, you know, the one to lead how my motherhood is basically running uh, in my household here. Una, let's move to the podcast part because my question will be actually related to, 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 the, to the part that is coming now. And that is, tell us about your life. What was the journey from the country that you were born to today, you living in Hong Kong. Share with us, where were you born and how did you decide to be a lawyer and what is it that you know uh, have you you know doing the things that you're doing having the strength that you are having and facing the the challenges in the way that seems to be so brave 
Um, I think the strength answer comes from my parents. I think I have to give them the credit for all of this. Um, I grew up in Northern Ireland, so both my parents are from Northern Ireland, and my father was actually a policeman in Northern Ireland. So before I was born, he, I've got two sisters, one older, one younger. Before he was, before I was born, he was actually involved in a, a shootout. Um, he was actually shot when he was at work as a policeman. And he was shot seven times at once. So he lost one of his lungs, one of his vocal cords, the muscle in the top of one of his arms. And he actually had to go to rehab to learn how to speak again. And so he was away for like nine months, but this is before I was born. So I was born obviously into a family in the middle of the troubles in Northern Ireland where my mother was a international best-selling author. She, she had come She'd come from poverty. She had her her mother was my grandparents had been divorced at a very young age. They grew up in the middle of Anderson's town, which is that basically was in the middle of the troubles in Northern Ireland. So where all of the military, you know, you'll see all of the the military activity, et cetera, happening. So my mum my and dad saw a lot. And my mother obviously had to work incredibly hard to get to where she was. Now she's now a qualified lawyer and she's a qualified accountant. She did her accountancy first. And um, she, you know, by the time, like the time I was like six years old, she was CEO of a large company in the UK who had their patron as Princess Diana. So she was doing a lot of social events um, with, with individuals such as Princess Diana. She was on TV quite a lot because of her books. And my father was obviously, he'd been in the police. Uh, he was also in an explosion when I was younger as well. So he'd been quite sick. Um, and then he retired when I was about eight. So I suppose from a very early age, I had two parents that had been through incredible adversity in their lives and had come out the other side of it. And, you know, there's always a tomorrow. And, you know, coming from a family as well, my mother's a Catholic, my father's a Protestant. So I came from two extremes in terms of the religious divide in Northern Ireland. I was very, very privileged to be brought up where I got to see the sides of both the story. And I was able to have an opinion because I was informed on the whole story. And I suppose that has been one of my biggest kind of the biggest molds for me in my life is that I always want to know the whole story. I don't want to know a bit better piece of this, of, you know, your side or somebody else's side. I want to look at the whole story. Um, and that I think has really kind of set me aside as well as I've got older, because I don't believe everything I see or everything I hear. I always want to be inquisitive and inquire more. And that inquisitive nature, I suppose, kind of what brought me to being a lawyer, you know, that's what it was all about. Um, so I went off to study in the UK, I did Erasmus, I did Erasmus, so I got to study in Finland, in Turku, um, and also in Maastricht in the Netherlands, as well as part of my Erasmus course. Um, I then got offered a place to do my master's in Maastricht, which was amazing. Um, I am not the most academic in my family by, by any stretch. In fact, I think from an IQ against my sisters, I'm like the lowest. Um, but we you know I have a, a perfectly normal IQ. I just have a sister that's in Mensa. So it's a very kind of a different, different kind of situation. Um, and I was never expected to kind of academically achieve much. Um, it was always very much with my parents, try your best. And as long as you've tried your best, that's all we ever ask. That's good enough. Um, whereas my sister, she's coming in with these top grades and I'm just skimming through everything. The fact that I got offered a place on a master's program, I think, was one of the most strangest days. I thought I thought they'd sent the envelope to the wrong person. I was like, are you sure this was meant for me? And it was. But um, what it taught me was I got to, especially studying abroad, I got to meet so many people from so many different backgrounds. And the biggest learning for me at a, at a young age, like I'm talking like 1920, was when you put people from all over the world into the same environment, we all think the same. We all talk the same. You know, it's, it, there was no differentiation. Someone was from China, from China, from Latin, you know, from Brazil, from Spain, you know, Sweden, you name it, Russia. We were all studying together and we were all thinking, studying, you know, in the same way. And that for me was a massive realization that there's a big world out there, but it's quite a small world. And we aren't all that different. And, you know, we do, you know, I want, then it kind of gave me that passion. I wanted to see the world and I wanted to get out there a bit and explore it. So again, it all happened by chance. I 
as I mentioned, I got offered a training contract at the ECB, which, you know, back in the day, two and a half thousand people apply for these stages and one person gets it. Now it's much more. And I got offered it, which was amazing. And it was just because when I had been studying, I got to meet people. And again, I suppose it was back to networking, network, get to know people, went to London, joined JP Morgan, uh, got to learn about the products. And then I joined uh, Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi, so MUFG, where I got, to, I got thrown in in the deep end to run the Mifid implementation because they said they needed a European lawyer. <laughs> I was just like, okay. Um, and again, throwing in the deep end to learn about, you know, the products and the business. And that is really how I have my entire career progressed. I've always thrown myself in the deep end and I've jumped between disciplines because I've wanted to really learn. I learn the products, learn the regulations, learn the business. And it has not always been the best decision. Um, one thing that it gave my CV an incredible look of was jumpiness because it looks like I didn't have I couldn't I couldn't be stable in a role. My problem was I got bored so quickly. The minute things moved away from like, you know, I'm very, very good in a remediation situation when it's high charged. But if you give me a BAU role and ask me to keep the lights on in the office, I'm going to fall asleep under my desk. I want to be there, you know, just really kind of jumping and thinking innovatively, working, doing things. So that, you know, it's all led me to where I am today, I suppose, is, is the answer. Um, I did do a multiple different jobs across multiple dif disciplines within compliance, um, also some legal work as well along the way, although I decided very, very early on, I took a gap year before going on to, do, to participate in my master's, and the reason I took a gap year was because coming from the UK, you can be either a solicitor or a barrister, and I was like, well, I don't really know if I want to be either. And also as well, becoming a barrister is expensive. You need to have money behind you. It's a, you know, you, there's, there's, there's not a lot of money in it to start with. So I was like, well, what do I want to do? So I took a gap year working in various roles in solicitor's office. I worked in the Royal Courts of Justice, actually in the typing pool, typing up all of the legal cases. I uh, worked in the barrister's chambers. I worked in the Amalgamated Transport and General Workers Union, you know, so it was all shop for slot, uh, shop floor stewards coming in from, you know, the shipyard, etc, who wanted legal advice and I was there kind of just helping. And, it, you know, what I learned from all of it was that I love to meet people and I love to hear about new issues. But if you stuck me doing an Insta agreement all day or you stuck me doing employment contracts all day I it, it's just not for me I needed something that really that really constantly changes and that's how I fell into compliance because it's just it's so incredibly exciting if you can if you really get to understand the product you can read the, the you know what different types of financial products and the different risks that they each have the, it's really really exciting as a job um but a lot of people don't seem to see that so maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll stop with the enthusiasm so what countries have you been living i mean all this career it seems that was during your single years and then when did you move to hong kong that was after uh being living in holland or how how, how did you uh, so, move to yeah. hong kong well, that's a good question. So I was working in London for ING and they asked me if I would like to move out to Singapore to, they wanted a market abuse specialist. And obviously I'd, um, I'd, I actually built the global control room for ING. And before that I'd done the MIFID implementation. So they now wanted somebody who was a market abuse specialist to go out to the, to the region. And the job was actually supposed to be in Hong Kong, but at the last minute there was a change and they decided to put it in Singapore. And I was like, well, you know, Singapore is for families. That's pretty boring. I want to be in Hong Kong, but that's cool. That's edgy. And then I find out I was pregnant. And suddenly that's when life makes the decisions for you. You know, life is what happens when you're busy planning other things. I think it was John Lennon said it. Um, I got to go to Singapore and thank goodness I went to Singapore because I was pregnant. It was so perfect for being being a mom. It was everything you could possibly ask for. So I was in Singapore for six years. I became a permanent resident actually in Singapore. 
Um, and then when my daughter was about two and a half, I met my husband and um, we actually ended up working together on a, on a remediation project. I, I never mixed business and pleasure. And the one time I did, I married him. So I'm never doing it again, ever. Um, <laughs> I learned, learned my mistake. I'm only joking. He's a, he's a good guy. So um, we then he got them promoted out to Hong Kong. And for a number of years, he'd been doing projects which had required him to live in Thailand and travel. He was traveling back and forth every other weekend. And I was like, look, if you're going to be in Hong Kong, this is just not going to work. Thailand was a slightly shorter flight to Singapore, but this is going to be like a, you know, a five, six hour flight. So we made the decision that we would move as a family to Hong Kong and we had three weeks to move, um, which was massive. So we packed up in three weeks, moved to Hong Kong and we thought, oh, we won't be here for a long time. We'll just be here for a short time. And we've been here now five and a half years. So <laughs> it was kind of, but um, now kind of the next step of our journey, my husband's an only child and obviously COVID, we haven't been able to see our families. And that's really kind of driven home that we'd like to be closer to, to our families. Um, I believe that my, my work will always be centered in the APAC. I have offices in Singapore and Hong Kong now um, for virtual risk solutions. Raw Compliance is a global entity. Illumio is global as well. And, um, you know, the next step is, I suppose, just my husband and the kids getting settled back in Europe. Um, we're probably, at the moment, we're trying to think about where that's going to be in Europe. I think we can't go back to the cold. <laughs> Having lived in Asia for 12 years, you need the heat. So I, I, I still apologize, but Scandinavia, Sweden, it, it, Northern Europe is out. <laughs> Even, Portugal, even Spain. Portugal is the perfect Portugal, one. Spain, yes. That's, that's what I said to my husband the other day. I said, what about Portugal? But he's like, yeah. oh no, maybe he's more, he goes maybe more towards Spain. Spain might be a good idea, but I hope mm -hmm. his mother because his mother wants us to go back to the Netherlands, so she can't hear this podcast ever. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, I suppose that's kind of like our thought, you know, in the next kind of 18 months, where are we going to be? And, um, and yeah, you know, I'm not a planner. I don't like to plan. I, I just like to see how things go. Um, but yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And I know how blessed I am to have, tra I've traveled the world with my work. The only place I've never been is the US, I've, which is bizarre. I've never been to America in my life, but um, I have traveled everywhere else with work. And the people that I- Oh my gosh, I you have a such an amazing life. Just <laughs> in, you know, in two continents, I guess. So still, you have a lot to live. Not that you know that you need to 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 complete your life going to America, at least South America. I'm from South America, but what an amazing journey! I mean, Una, I am completely aware of um, your strength, your bravery, your um, determination, your stamina. It's you're full of energy, uh, <laughs> which is very nice to to you know to to. To hear from a young woman, a mother, single mother, is like you have complete the whole set of challenges uh, of a woman <laughs> and starting a business in Asia uh, and being successful at what you're doing, being redundant and turning the things. I mean, I could talk to you forever, but we have to end somehow this episode. So let's move to our almost last question. And that will be, I mean, I could ask you about cultural differences and all that, that I'm very, very curious to, to, to know. Um, but let's go with what are the women in your life that have made a positive impact? And I can see that your mother is one of them, but do yeah. you have anybody as well as your mom and why? Yeah, there's been a few, there's been a few, to be honest, I think there's two, two things. I have had a couple of, amazing female managers and leaders in my life but I've also had a couple of the absolute worst and um, in some instances actually I think that we as women aren't as supportive of each other as we should be I've seen that a few times in the workplace and then we you know we talk about equality and then it's sometimes you come across one or two women it's like oh goodness me you know they obviously they obviously didn't get that memo <laughs> you know it was I don't know where it went um but it's it's harder but yes there have been a few one in particular um Emma Badman she was my manager at ING when I was in London and she's just a phenomenal woman she's super super smart 
but one of the loveliest people you could ever meet. And it is, there's a, you know, a few people that I've worked for in my career that have really made a difference to me. And she definitely is one of them. Um, and her boss, Marilyn Van Helimon, she's actually the global head at, um, I believe it's Santander now. Uh, she's the global head of compliance at Santander. Emma's the global head of, of wholesale at ING. Uh, but just two amazing women. Emma's English, Marilyn is Dutch just amazing woman that, you know, I look to thinking whenever I was working with them that I was so much younger than them. But what I've realized, I wasn't that much younger, but uh, they really inspired me in different ways. And one of them was to always ask questions, um, to, um, to learn to listen more. I'm not good at that. I'm Irish. We are like, like they, I think the Irish and the Spaniards have a lot in common. We are born to talk. And if there's quietness in the room, something's wrong, you know? So, so um, learning to listen is still one of my daily goals. Um, but it's by, you know, it's both of them taught me, like ask the right questions, um, you know, make sure that you're speaking with the right people. And, and also as well, it was a really big, you know, I'm trying to think about how since I've come to Asia, you know, females there's what you know two ladies even at Citibank um so so Gretchen Goodall she's the APAC head of, of AML for Citibank and Avalon Sand she's the the chief compliance officer at City both amazing women very very different backgrounds you know Gretchen moved here from the US Avalon has born and bred in Hong Kong and um you asked that cultural question what I really love is being able to be surrounded by women that have all been brought up in different cultural backgrounds, because that diversity is, is what you need to really get the team thinking in the right way. And I love, I love um, how they all, and as well, they, they teach you so, you know, if you want to think about the best way, you know, for example, like you say, the, the Art of War is a fantastic book to read in terms of strategy, but it applies to the boardroom as much as it does to being a leader in a team. And, you know, it, it, it goes back to, think think a lot speak less um you know be careful who you share your ideas with because not everybody will have the best intentions that you have my problem is is that i just love to share and talk to people and it will continue to get me in trouble but the one big thing i've learned is i am not going to change who i am to suit other people i love being who i am and yes there are times that I can get a bit sad and a bit down because I feel what well, I was taken advantage of. But you know what? I allowed that to happen. And if I strike, so if I start to fundamentally change those aspects of me, I'll change as a person. And I may lose some of the really positive qualities about myself as a result. So I think from the woman in my life, you know, the, the strong individual females that I've met all of them, their message has been, it's just like, own who you are, stand up, speak out, have a voice. And, you know, you know, look, especially as I said earlier, as my mother said, like, we all come into the world the same, we all go out the same, it's what you do with your life that makes a difference. And every single day, and every decision you make, you should remind yourself of that. Because integrity should play a role in every single aspect of your life. And every day and everything that you're doing, you should be asking yourself, is this the right thing to do? And that's so that's something that I do continuously. I don't want to sound cheesy by saying it, but it is. I have incredibly high ethical barometer. And um, and I thought also working in our field is not the best either, you know, <laughs> because it's 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 hard. Um, but anyway, that that's. That's a little bit about me. I'm conscious that we've ran over time. And I also, my kids are all at dinner and I need to get down to join oh, them. So I do thank you so much for sharing such an inspiring story. And you just wrap up the last thoughts. And I'm very grateful that you took the time to share your experience with us and inspire us. Thank you so much. Thank Have you. I'm looking forward to hearing all your time with you. Very inspiring. Bye, Yuna. Bye, everyone. See you soon. I'll Have be in Portugal day. soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Have a nice weekend. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can read the description or you can also go to our website, www.iwib.online. You can also follow us on Instagram at IWIB Business Network. Until next time.